हेलो एवरीवन वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ नॉट अ पॉडकास्ट विद निहित परिक आफ्टर सम ग्रेट सक्सेस विद द पॉडकास्ट लास्ट ईयर दिस इज गोइंग टू बी द फर्स्ट एपिसोड ऑफ नॉट अ पॉडकास्ट ऑफ 2021 वी आर बैक विद सम अमेजिंग कंटेंट एंड इंटरेस्टिंग जेनजी स्टोरीज सो स्टे ट्यून विद अस टिल द एंड नाउ स्टार्टिंग विद टुडेस एपिसोड वी हैव समवन वेरी स्पेशल एज अ गेस्ट विद अस फॉर दिस एपिसोड आवर गेस्ट फॉर द एपिसोड इज मिस हर्षवर्धना खडवी Harshvardhana is solopreneur of a venture called Breathe Candle Store. She has done her bachelor's in governance and public from Pandit Dindayal Petroleum University and is currently pursuing master's in public administration. She is passionate about wildlife conservation, animal welfare, antiques and cultural and architectural history. And in today's episode, we are going to discuss about some of the most interesting topics that have played a huge role in shaping her life's journey. I hope you like the episode. Stay till the end. So without further ado, let's get started. So, uh hi Harshvardhana, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That's good to hear. And uh, well, uh, so without a further ado, let's uh, get started with the questions. And so history is something that I personally find very interesting these days. And you know, you come from such a history savvy place in Gujarat, which is Palanpur. So you know, start by talking about Palanpur. right so coming from the historical perspective it has like a lot of inter uh, mixture of a lot of cultures so initially there was the parmar dynasty that was ruling palanpur and after that in the 13th century the chauhan dynasty came and they were ruling over palanpur then moving on a further more centuries down then the 17th century is where we see the major shift happening where we had the jalori dynasty which is basically from a town called jalore in rajasthan so these were uh, like a part of pathani tribe these rulers were a part of pathani tribes and they are called pashtun lohanis and that those are the ones who started ruling from the 17th century so that's where the shift started like the entire cultural shift of rulers being from one religion to the other religion so that's where the muslim dominance comes from and yeah then they faced issues after aurangzeb the mughal emperor aurangzeb's death then they faced issues and they actually lost the kingdom of palanpur to the marathas so for a while the marathas were also ruling palanpur mm-hmm. and after that they seek re- uh, like some help from the british east india company and they later on like they were able to regain palanpur and it became a british protectorate and it was governed by the palanpur agency under the british rule Mm-hmm. so that's the uh, part of the historical perspective to palanpur and what its soil has gone through yeah that's you know very insightful and i personally feel that you know uh, this is something i am going to google about today now uh, <laughs> yeah so now i've read that you know after independence of india in 1947 palanpur state was dissolved in 1949 and merged with union of india as a part of bombay state and subsequently palanpur became the capital of banaskantha district of gujarat 
so you know uh, like you did talk about how was palanpur before independence and uh, i somewhere i've heard that sir mount betan had an interesting role in the history so uh, you know tell me about you know this pre independence and post independence scenario and their relevance and significance right so talking about pre independence i think i would uh, throw some light on the nawab of palanpur and the lord mountbatten's relations so they basically became friends when the prince of wales tour happened so because both of them were in assistance to the prince of wales when he visited india and even when they used to go abroad like when the uh, nawab of palanpur used to go to england to serve as the adc adc is basically aide de camp sort of like someone who assists the ruler so they became friends during the entire tour when prince of wales was being assisted and they they maintained good relations throughout so there is this very interesting anecdote which has been mentioned in a book called freedom at midnight which was written by larry collins and dominic lapier and that is where the interesting part of lord mountbatten's relation comes so as you know like how britishers how their rule was they never actually recognized uh, marriages that were dominated by color so they never wanted any white woman or man to be related to any uh, indian because they wanted to maintain their you know true uh true form true blood or whatever you call it so they actually never recognized such marriages and the nawab of palanpur his se- uh, his second wife was actually an australian so wow. she was a white woman living in palanpur and i mean the titular uh, significance would be her highness but that was a very important title not being given to everyone and you need to you needed to have a, a specific permission from the british britishers to get that kind of a title so of course the nawab was trying very hard to get that title for his second wife and one of the major factors was also because the first wife was already surviving so she already had the her highness title so giving it to a second wife especially a white woman was very very difficult for the britishers to digest and so throughout his efforts nothing actually very significant happened lord mountbatten sometimes even tried to actually talk to lord wavell about it and see if that something could be done but nothing was done Mm-hmm. so right before independence uh, i would say maybe a few minutes before uh, when the independence when india gained independence i think around midnight let's yes. say 10 minutes before midnight when he was signing his last documents as the viceroy of india he said that i want to give this title to the begum of palanpur and wow. one of someone from the office said you cannot and he says why can't i this is these are my last minutes as the viceroy i can do anything that i want and he did that so that is when begum jahanara gained the title of her highness the begum of palanpur so this remains a very interesting fact because one of the last things that lord mountbatten signed was this kind of a title being given to the begum wow that's you know very interesting and uh, i i am speechless wow so uh, you know now moving on from here you know there is i think an interesting love story that i see here of nawab of palanpur and could you shed some light on that so this is like my favorite part of the entire palanpur story um so as i mentioned before also it was always uh, considered very controversial for white women to actually you know mingle with uh, men of color especially something like a marriage was considered to be majorly controversial but in this case the nawab had 
a second wife who was an Australian. So she was a white woman. The first wife came from Gujarat itself, a nearby uh, kingdom of Dasada. That's where she belonged. And the second one was from Australia. So uh, it was considered to be a taboo, I would say. Nobody was actually up for such alliances. But of course, uh, as time progressed, a lot of these were also seen. Um, Nawab Sahib basically met uh, Joanne or like she was called Joanne and later on she became Begum Jahanara when she converted to Islam after her marriage. So uh, he met the Begum Sahiba in Germany in 1937 because he always used to be overseas for some of the other duties to the crown because it was a British protectorate uh, place, Palanpur. And hence he was he had to be overseas for some times and that's where he met her. Mm -hmm. And uh, although there was a striking age difference of 37 years between them, uh, I think the kind of love that they had was always uh, reciprocated on both the sides. And it was very evident that they were deeply in love. And uh, the, the Begum actually came from a very elite family in Australia. So because they came from an elite family, it was not considered to be, um, you know, very like a good idea for, her, for their daughter to go overseas and settle with a man who had so much of an age difference. Because they already had someone in their family who was married to a Maharaja in South of India. So they had seen how things changed for that woman. And that's not what they wanted for their daughter. But of course, love wins over everything. So uh, it was decided. I mean, the Begum Sahiba, she decided that if my parents are not giving me that kind of a permission, I would do it myself. And that is when she eloped from Australia and uh, came to Bombay. So the, of course, the proposal was made. There were a lot of diamonds that were sent to uh, Australia. And that is when they were accepted very well. And Begum Sahiba came to Bombay. And that is where, like, after a few days, their marriage happened. So the Nawab of Palanpur married Joanne Falconer, who later on became Jahanara Begum of Palanpur. That's the story. Wow, that is such a great example of love. And, you know, we are talking about like 70 to 80 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, this is great. And now here's something that I know that you are quite active on Instagram and you keep posting about these beautiful sceneries from Palanpur. And I, I do watch that. So if I am, let's say, visiting Palanpur, which places should I go to or like be my travel guide? Okay, this is not that hard to pick because there are very few places, but very interesting places. So the first one for sure would be the Zoravar Palace that used to be the official residence of the Nawabs of Palanpur. And uh, later on, when uh, after independence, when the territories were merged, it was given over to the government of India. And currently, it is an administrative building, which also houses the district court. And it's an amazing building because there's so much of like beautiful architecture and it, it looks beautiful. So although it's an administrative building, you should for sure go there and look at it from the outside. Mm -hmm. um, the next one would be Balaram Palace. So that used to be the hunting lodge for the Palanpur royal family. And that is where they used to visit a lot during vacations or whenever they wanted to have their uh, weekend uh, time. So it is an amazing place. Currently, it's a hotel. And uh, it is uh, actually a heritage hotel and it's very beautiful. Again, the scenery over there is amazing because it's right beside a river and it looks amazing, especially during monsoon. So that's, that should be your second place. Third would be Kirti Stam, which is another thing that was uh, 
created by the Palanpur royal family and it was it is a beautiful piece of architecture especially because of how the carvings are on it it looks very very regal and it it reminds you of how the times were beforehand and now there's a beautiful garden surrounding also so the entire view is beautiful to look at um the fourth is not really like one particular place but i think if you go through the old bazaars of palanpur nani bazaar moti bazaar it is uh, it i mean there are a lot of old houses and old buildings which i really i personally love going there because all these buildings have great uh, carvings on them and i love looking at them some of them even have amazing colors like i i have this one house that i love which is green in color like very nice pastel green color and it looks amazing so that would be the uh, fourth place for you to go and the fifth one would be george fifth club <laughs> because that is that was something which speaks a lot about british architecture and how uh, it was commemorated to for king george fifth and that place is now like a club people go there to for their sports or for other uh, games and activities but that's also a beautiful place to visit it's a very peaceful place wow that's so beautiful even to hear so i think you know i guess probably i am visiting palanpur next month <laughs> do come <laughs> yeah sure and the next thing that you know i want to know from you is how is the culture of palanpur or what are the peculiar details about it how has it been shaped and you know maybe how is it changing right so palanpur i think i would call it uh, a center of art and not just art in terms of what we consider probably paintings or any or some like carvings or uh, in terms of uh, antiques but i would say art in terms of photography shairies poems books all of that because we've had people like famous uh, shires like we've had musafir palanpuri saif palanpuri and their ghazals and all are very 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 soothing to listen to then we've had great authors like we've had chandrakant bakshi we've had bakul bakshi who come from palanpur so their books are also what makes the city famous then we have had a lot of good photographers like the the royal family's photographer al sayed he has been his family has been continuing the profession of photography for past three generations now so wow. they are renowned then we have people who are interested in paintings also and now we have a techie from palanpur itself so we have pranav mistri also who is from palanpur so it's a very the culture is very mixed because we we support art there's a lot of art aspects there's a lot of technical aspects and in terms of the people over here we have a mixed population of muslims as well as hindus and a lot of jains and a, and a tiny sikh population as well um, palanpur has a lot of jain mandirs as well and an important uh, dera sirs as well so the population is so mixed that i think the culture in itself becomes very uh, heterogeneous in nature and that is what beautifies it because all of these communities have been living in so much of harmony that it totally talks about unity and diversity wow wonderful wonderful and uh, that's that's i guess very soothing to hear and i guess palanpur is one place uh, in gujarat which you know represents the idea of india and that's that's great now you know from here we come to you know end of our first section and we move on to the second section now 
a lot of young mm-hmm. girls and women are listening to this podcast and so especially for our female listeners how has your journey been shifting from a small town to a big city like amdavad like you know how has the rural urban uh, mix mix experience been for you um i think for me it was not a very sudden shift because i used to always uh, i i was living in both these areas throughout the week i would be in amdavad that is where i was born that is where i did my schooling from but weekends would always be in palanpur because my family we have a farm here so we would love coming to the farm so weekends were always here we have these crops growing so we would some days look at the crops and the fields and what is the process some days just spend time with the animals over here so it was amazing to live that dual life because it helped me understand what these different contrasts are like for i would just give you an example our school was in the middle of a field in bopal so mm-hmm. during that time there were a lot of fields around and you know in in winters uh, there would be this little bit of uh, mist over there and some a bit of fog and that would re- that would be really exciting for people and then we would have those occasional animals like nilgai coming here and there and people would get fascinated by nilgais mm-hmm. and i was like why is this fascinating i see this animal every weekend how is this new for you people so that is where i understood that this is the contrast in city and uh, country life like you're very close to nature you see so many things as being i mean you just these, those are everyday things for you hearing about some leopard incident nearby uh, seeing all these neil guys coming and going and then listening uh, like okay today the forest department found some sloth bear nearby that was very common for us but for the city folks that would be a point of attraction for them it would be like whoa they found animals that's a big thing <laughs> so i i loved living through that contrast because i used to feel like wow i'm so connected to nature i like that and that's how i've grown up that's why i would always find peace with animals i prefer company of animals more than humans that's how my grew up so that has been my foundation yeah and i guess i've seen you with animals uh, often times even in the campus so you know let's let's talk about uh, your pdpu journey because uh, i guess that is where i got to know you and i got to meet you and we worked in the same organization as well so you know what what were the interesting activities and experiences that you've had and help you grow as an individual in your pdpu journey right so uh, in pdpu school of liberal studies actually facilitated a lot of um, thoughts for me like maybe i came from a very one sided opinion of things before joining sls but i think once i joined sls i understood how different opinions actually shape your holistic perspective on any topic that you take up and i loved that because i knew that if anybody is providing an opinion it is not a point for me to counter it is a point for me to understand their opinion mm-hmm. and that journey was very fascinating and i think that's that's why i love sls so much because uh, the the kind of uh, liberty it gave to my thoughts was something which i love about the energy of that place um of course uh, talking about the organization i because of pdpu i found isec as well so that was a major part of my journey throughout my college life for those four years i was dedicated to this organization and i absolutely uh, would give full credit to this organization for making me what i am today 
because it has not just um, widened my horizons but has also developed this confidence in me that if there is something that seems like a challenge i can certainly take it up because i have done similar things before in that organization so it was like a playground where even if you fail it's okay you always have this next chance to try again and i loved that so i think isaac uh, built a lot of resilience in me and i i totally owe my confidence and resilience to this organization undoubtedly yeah that's that's something so isaac has been one of the you know major turning points of my life as well and uh, i met uh, you know such interesting people and i've had so many interesting conversations and also worked uh, and learned a lot of new things and it has broadened my horizons as well and uh, i think there is there is no denying from how you know the people that are there in isec they are never anywhere else so you only find these uh, you know gem of uh, gem of a person when you know you are in isec and i guess uh, most of my good friends are from isec and yeah that's 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 amazing i agree yeah so now i've known you for past 4 years now and i know that know for a fact that you know you have a uh, love for postcards and you have a hobby of collecting postcards too so talk about that for a bit so my mother always says that i was born in the wrong era because uh, she thinks i should have been born in 60s or 70s or 80s because i love vintage things a lot mm-hmm. and uh, so i i would totally go through uh, any antique store and look at different things i love going to museums i love history so I, that is where her opinion comes from and about postcards i think that is something which is uh, forgotten in in our uh, in our uh, life especially with our generation because of how quick we are with our texts or rather emails as well so everything seems everything else which is slow seems to be forgotten i remember uh, how my grandfather used to write postcards back home when he was studying in amdavad and i've gone through all those postcards and they are so beautiful modes of communication and i think why have we forgotten that it would be so amazing to wait for someone's uh, you know letter or postcard to come and un- see what is happening in their life and uh, when i realized that in india we have stopped uh, really focusing on postcards i started writing them to friends so i love writing postcards i love collecting postcards as well from different countries wherever uh, my friends have gone they've always brought back a postcard for me because that has always been like my that is what i hold actually and uh, uh, i would love to tell you that i have i think i have at least uh, 86 to 90 tea postcards yeah wow from different different countries uh, places in india or different types of postcards as well so i love that because it is something which is such a beautiful mode of communication and i would share this that i once i was in shimla uh, in 2019 for a trip and uh, that is where i found this very cute post office and i thought okay let me send a postcard to my mother so it reached to her in a week and i just wrote random things in that postcard like oh mummy today i had to climb these many stairs to get up here this that it is very cold i am freezing all of that but it was so beautiful for her to receive it because nobody writes it like even the postman said that how are you still receiving postcards because it is forgotten but i think we should revive that it is beautiful to write postcards 
Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I guess this is like a pro tip for Gen Z that, uh, you know, maybe take a pause <laughs> from WhatsApp for a day and, uh, you know, revive, let's revive this old tradition and such a great ritual, I'd say, because it's a therapy. It's, it's totally. So I... It's a great way to preserve conversations as well. Like, as I told you, I read postcards about that my grandfather wrote to my uh, great grandfather here back from Ahmedabad to Palanpur. Now, how would I know what conversations they had if they were texting? But I know now because of these postcards. So it's so good. Yeah, that's, I guess, that's a new POV on, you know, postcards that I have never thought about. So yeah, that's great. And uh, so moving on from this beautiful part, now we come to our last and the final section. And uh, so uh, now that we've come to our final part, tell me how you came up with this idea of candle making and you know what what inspired you to dig deeper into that? Like, how do you look at it as a hobby? Cool. So candle making, actually, my sister used to make candles when I was, uh, me and my sister have a huge age gap. So when she was in her teenage, I think that's when she started making candles and I was still a young kid. But it was very fascinating to see her put different colors. And then every day in a new um, katori, we would have a new candle because that was her mold for everything. And then I started learning from her own candle kit. I started experimenting. And one day in my school library, I found this huge book of art and it had a candle making section, which mm-hmm. was something very uncommon for me because I never thought that there was science to it. I thought was, people just do it like that. It's a hobby. Mm-hmm. But that is where I saw that, oh, there's a lot of scientific aspect to this. Let me learn. And yeah, that book is actually what made me go deeper into this because I saw amazing candles. Like some of my uh, candle recipes come from that book. I Xeroxed the entire candle making section. Being a young kid, I was like, okay, I need this information to be with me. And you know, school libraries, right? You can just yeah. um, issue an, issue any book for like one week only. So in that <laughs> one week, rather than writing down things, I was a bit uh, lazy there. So I just Xeroxed that candle making section. And that's where it began. That's where the interest started experimenting. And I think it's a hobby for me because there's so much to experiment. I think I love playing with things. And this is one aspect. Every day thinking about new designs, new colors, new formations. I think that is what keeps me awake. And I love that. Wow, that's very creative as a hobby. And I, I can understand that, you know, you have been so passionate about this and why. And so now, you know, tell our audience about uh, Breathe Candle Store and all the creative work you've done with the business. Right. So Breathe is something that I only started last year in 2020. Uh, But of course, I've been making candles for the past at least nine years now. So the idea was always there and it somewhat took uh, shape in the first, second year of college as well. You have been my customer, so you know. And uh, that is how I thought that, okay, one day maybe I can start this as a full business. And in 2020, like throughout the entire pandemic and the lockdown, whenever I was stressed, I would always get back to these creative things. I would, because it would always divert my mind and it would help me just relax. So I understood, I read a lot about these different aromas and what they do mm-hmm. and how it is calming. Any, any art is, any form of art is very calming for the creator. Mm-hmm. But then I thought of making it reach out to more and more people with the final product. 
so it was my effort on spreading awareness about mindfulness because that is something that i believe a lot of us miss out on so that is where the idea took shape and that is how the business started and yeah it has been we started in october so it has been like good four months now with the with the entire project and thankfully it is going very well wow that's interesting and uh, wow so you know for for all the listeners who've not uh, you know yet found out breathe candle store they have an instagram page a very beautiful instagram page and a very you know uh, always uh, always ready to cater to their customers it was it's something that i uh, you know as when i open instagram i check out you know what's their update of the day so do check out that and now harshvardhan this is going to be more like a very interesting question for you know the people uh, listening so can you can you tell me in brief how a candle is prepared or the process of it for sure uh, it's a long process but i would try to simplify it as much as i can so the first part would be finding the correct wax for the kind of candles you want to make uh, there's a like a note to it that not every candle can be made with soy wax so i know there's a lot of buzz around soy wax but not every candle can be made out of it so it is important to understand what kind of candle you want to make and accordingly choose the correct kind of wax for it after that you would uh, you know melt the whatever uh, candle you want to make so the amount of wax that you have measured for it you would melt it in a double boiler double boiler is important because if you just put like one single vessel on the flame then your candle wax might actually catch fire so a double mm-hmm. boiler is important after that once it is completely melted then you add the fragrance oil to it and uh, basically that is where that is when you also prepare whatever uh, vessel you are using so if you are putting it in a jar then you prepare it with the wick and everything and basically you just pour the wax there yeah that's that's it and then you just need to wait the wait is the hard part though because you need to wait at least 6 uh, hours for the candle to wow. harden properly and uh, after that yeah you can light it up that's yours wow wonderful the art and the artist and the science behind <laughs> that's that's very inspiring and very insightful and so now you this is uh, going to be a more open ended question and you can choose to answer in whichever you, way you like so what do you have to say about women in small businesses and entrepreneurship what do you have to say about women in leadership and how important is it and where does india stand and where does world world stand on that right now i think for women in small businesses it is very important to uh, you know chart out different responsibilities that you will be handling um coming from a business that is uh, that is that has just one person employed that is me myself so everything is uh, has to be coordinated by one person so sometimes it becomes overwhelming but because it is if it is well charted it can help you in organizing your tasks so i think that would be very important that for any woman who is starting a business understand what kind of responsibilities you want to have and uh, what you want to delegate to other people and be smart with your money because that is of course very important you need to know when to invest invest when to not invest and how far can you go with your investment so that is super important 
Um, I think talking about uh, women in entrepreneurship or leadership in general, I am glad to see that now the wave is changing. Now we have a lot of women at different positions doing great at their jobs. We have a lot of inspiration around within the country or even beyond the borders. So this is a good time to actually get where you want. So it's the hustle for women uh, era, I think. And I love that because finally it was about time. So this is a beautiful place to start with. And in India now, the opinion gradually is changing. So that is a very good thing. Now, so many women are taking up businesses and they, they themselves feel very confident that, yes, I can do this. And that is an amazing feeling for the entire uh, community to have because when you have so much of confidence in yourself, no matter how many challenges are thrown at you, you would definitely overcome them because you know that you can do this and that belief is super important. So from day one, just believe in yourself. Don't let anybody define who you are. Just be who you are and do your job because you know your job well. That's wow. it. Definitely. And I absolutely agree with you on that. And I mean, wow, this is great. And you know, some important point of views, some important insights. So now before we end this episode, Harshwardhana, would you like to say something to the listeners as your final remarks or your as your end notes? Um, I would only conclude with one, my favorite quote, my all-time motto for life, which is uh, a tiger never loses sleep over opinions of sheep. Wow. That's something... Uh, which is uh, going to be a great idea and a great quote for me to think about. And I guess for everybody who is listening to this podcast till now. And uh, wow, I mean, thank you. This was, this was such a great episode and your beautiful insights about, you know, how life has proceeded, your journey and some interesting points on that and the history of Palanpur and Breathe Candle Store. If we sum up everything, I am very happy that you were on the show and we recorded this. And yeah, so uh, with this, we come to an end of this episode. And uh, I would request all the listeners to, you know, uh, go check out Harshwardhana's page on Instagram. Do follow that and constantly uh, keep taking care of your health. Uh, be good do good to people and with that uh, we are signing off for this episode and keep listening to not a podcast with Nihit Parikh thank you Harshwadana thank you Nihit thank you so much for inviting me it was an honor and you're doing an amazing job with this podcast let me tell you so everybody keep listening to Nihit's amazing podcast sorry and it was amazing to be here. I loved having this conversation with you. So good luck with it, Nihit. And to all the listeners, have an amazing time. Thank you, Harshwardhana. And thank you, everyone. Good night.